y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Talk Wild to Me podcast, a show where we talk with some pretty amazing people who are working on protecting and conserving America's wild places. This week, we're speaking with Craig Bakerjean, the Abiquame campaign manager at the Nevada Conservation League, and Kim Garrison Meets, a Searchlight Nevada local, artist, and co-director of the Searchlight Mystery Ranch, an art and science research station. You may have heard of Abiquame. Back in November 2022, President Biden committed to designating Abiquame as a national monument. And this designation is being made official as I record this introduction in March of 2023. In this episode, Craig and Kim gave us the locals guide to this place that is sacred to so many, share insights about how the local communities and coalition members came together to protect it, and offer important advice for travelers and outdoor enthusiasts who wanna visit the new monument responsibly. Let's get to the conversation. All right, Craig and Kim, thank you both for joining me today and being here on the Talk Wild to Me podcast. I love to start all of my episodes by asking people to tell me what their favorite childhood memory is. So, Craig, why don't you go ahead and start? Ooh, I can have to say one of my favorite memories. Uh, every year I would do New Year's Eve at my grandma's house. And I was just really close to her, and, you know, uh, it was year 2000, Y2K, and the whole, you know, are we going to have, like, internet or technology? Like, do the lights flip off, and, like, all of a sudden we're back in the Stone Age? And, you know, I just getting to spend that moment with her, especially the older I get, the more I just appreciate, you know, my grandma and the love she provided for me and the happy memories of, you know, being with her as a as you know, child. So. Yeah, that's amazing. I, you know, Y2K, I remember that a lot as well. And it's weird that you brought that up because I'm dabbling in computer science and coding right now. And they were talking about how there's another potential Y2K situation coming up in 2038, I guess, because of the number of seconds that have gone on since they started counting seconds. So anyway, a little fun fact there. Kim, how about your favorite childhood memory? Well, all of my favorite childhood memories all kind of merge together in my mind because they're all about following my grandfather around in the Aviquame landscape and walking single file with him in the front, walking along the animal trails and uh, up the sides of mountains and down canyons and having him teach me the names of the plants and the animals and the birds. And that really left a lasting impression on me that is both about the wonder of nature and about how everything has a name and has its place. That's a great segue because my next question for you both is about just wanting to learn a little bit more about you and how your love for Abiquame began. So, Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit more, dive a little deeper into that. Why was why is Abiquame such a special place to your grandfather and to you today? Well, my grandparents uh, moved there in the 1960s and built a little cabin on the side of a mountain far away from everything else. And so it's been in my heart since before I was born. And that landscape is serene and challenging and 
deep you can see for hundreds and hundreds of miles, but you maybe only see a couple of things that might be a man-made dwelling in that area, in that expanse. So uh, it feels like you're breathing and you're you're feeling the the eons, the sense of time and space uh, so deeply in that landscape. So it, it's just etched on my heart and been a place that I have lived part-time or full-time throughout my entire life. And that's why it's so important to me to be a part of this movement, to protect it so that future generations of people can have the profound experiences that I've been able to have there. Awesome. And Craig, how about you? I, man, listening to Kim, I was just trying to think, like, I don't think there's any one thing that makes it special um, of Equime. I think for me, the, the joy of the work I do is getting to see and learn so much every single day. You know, every time we're out in the field and you know proposed national monument site there's so much to explore um, I feel like I get to learn about new animals every day or you know so many cultural traditions behind the land or whatever the case may be I always feel like every time even just routinely trading emails to some of our partners I feel like I get an opportunity to you know really delve deeper into what makes it special for you know so many people and for me, the joy is like, this is an opportunity to continuously learn, continuously explore, and just, again, continue to find new things to appreciate every day. A well that just, you know, is always deeper, and when you think you've got the bottom of it, it's something completely unexpected or small, but it's like, oh, wow, that completely changes my evaluation of, you know, the million other things people have told me along the, the way here. That's beautiful. So... Craig, tell me, how did you become involved in advocating for the designation of a Bikwimi National Monument? So uh, I was fortunate enough to join our coalition uh, in 2021, uh, right when things were ramping up, um, right before we were able to get the support of our you know, three gateway communities, uh, those being Boulder City, Laughlin, and the town of Searchlight. I come from an activist background. I've had the pleasure and privilege of working across the country for causes I care very deeply about. I heard about this um, through a activist, you know, progressive job posting and was, again, fortunate enough to get an opportunity to be with the right people at the right time and use the skills that I've learned over my career to hopefully make a difference on this project. Kim, how about you? In January 2020, I was approached by the Avikwame Coalition as they were looking for both someone who was an artist and knew the art community around Searchlight and the local areas in the Avikwame area, and also someone who was a local to the area who could interface with the communities there and and find out how people in the towns and villages felt about protecting this area in this way. And it turns out I was both people because as an artist and a co-director of the Searchlight Mystery Ranch, which is an art and science research station that used to be my family home, I was 
a person who understood the landscape, the town, and the arts community. And so it was my privilege to be able to bring all of those factors on board. And it also was very important to me while the coalition for support of the monument reached out to me, my loyalties are to my community and my town. So as I interacted with all of these advocates and organizations that wanted to see it protected, I also was there as a watchdog from my community to make sure that this legislation, as it went through all of its iterations and the steps that our community's voice was continuing to be heard throughout the process. Okay, so what I want to do now is take a minute to really help listeners get to know Abiquame. So if they've never been there, can you help us understand what the landscape is like, what plants and animals live there, what the local community is like? Any insight that either of you want to share about that would be very helpful. Yeah, I can hop in. So going off the theme earlier of Avico May being like a choose your own adventure book about what you want to find, you know, there is just so much. I think one of the misconceptions I had before, you know, coming out here to work on this is this idea that like, it's all just desert out there. And, you know, outside of Las Vegas, it's, you know, miles and miles of just, you know, nothingness and just uh, a sea of sand, basically. But, you know, there's so much out there. I think um, one of the really cool things is there's 28 uh, different species of unique native grasses, uh, half of which are classified as rare. Um, there's also you know fan favorites like the bighorn sheep, the desert tortoise, the Joshua tree, you know, golden eagles. You know, the area itself is a very important birding site. And again, I think, not to sound cheesy, but whatever you want to find in the monument site, it's out there. If you're someone that like really values desert blooms, like when there's monsoon seasons like it just comes alive with you know grasses and you know flowers just popping up you know seemingly out of nowhere or again going back to this idea of like birding if you're a big into like um, that community like there's raptors and like birds again very impressive nested pairs of like golden eagles um, one of our partners the red rock audubon society put out an article about the thrashers in the area you know reading about them and kind of what makes this such a unique habitat for them. I was like, oh, I keep an eye out the next time I'm hiking or camping in the area. So again, I think not to put the onus back on your listeners, but I would say like, think about what's important to you, what you want to see, and really go out to the area with an eye for detail. And I can almost guarantee that you will find whatever you're looking for. Yeah, I think that's, I want to pull out one thing that you said. So I'm originally from the Midwest, spent a lot of time before we started traveling uh, on the East Coast in North Carolina. And for me, I always thought the same thing about deserts, like just like a sea of sand, like there's just like nothing there. And my family and I have spent the last three or four months in mostly the Sonoran Desert, but a little bit of the Mojave um, and the Chihuahuan as well. And I am blown away with how many surprises the desert has in store for people. It is not what it looks like in cartoons. There's so much more than that. So I totally agree with that. Kim, what can you tell us about the, the local community and ecosystem? 
Well, it is full of surprises. One walk I took, I found a cave, a tiny cave in a big granite mountain formation. And inside this tiny scale cave, it was full of quartz crystals in every direction, like a geode going back into the mountain. And inside the cave of quartz crystals was a nest of baby birds. That's the kind of magic that is in this place all the time. Uh, one summer after the monsoons, there were phosphorescent larvae, like glowing in the dark. You know, uh, not a lot of research has been done on the East Mojave, and that's because a lot of research gets done in places that have fancy names like a national monument or national park. So actually, we're still discovering things all the time, new species, new things that people didn't know were out there. So it's a very magical environment for that reason, because that sense of discovery is is large there. And it's on an ancient scale. These are ancient Joshua tree forests, ancient lichens, yucca, um, the creosote bushes. So many, many ancient elder plants and creatures out there. And then the geology is ancient. Uh, part of the spirit mountain batholith is 1.5 billion years old. It's some of the oldest exposed rock on the surface of the earth. There's a small community in the middle, Searchlight, a town of about 350 people right now, and then a few smaller villages around. And uh, that makes it convenient because there are a couple of highways that bisect the monument area and over 500 miles of designated routes of dirt roads within the monument landscape as well. So it's a great place to do some backcountry exploring and uh, those local communities provide essential services like food and small hotels and, and gas and provisions and stuff like that. So it's a desert community. So we're proud desert rats out there and uh, we enjoy our wide open spaces and an independent spirit. And it makes it a very interesting place to be because people respect one another's differences out there. We all need each other to survive being in remote locations. And for the most part, people really respect each other's different political and social and religious differences. So uh, it's a very hopeful and optimistic place as far as I'm concerned for that reason as well. That's great. So many of the people listening to this podcast are outdoor enthusiasts, traveling nomads like my family and I, and I know that this place is sacred to many people. And so I think it's really important to ask how you would encourage tourists to visit the area in a way that's responsible and supports both the ecosystem and the local community that lives there. Again, I think, you know, the goal of leaving no trace is paramount. Like, um, there's a lot of cool stuff out there and you're going to be out there and find Native American heritage items. Those are very cool. And I know it's tempting just the pocket one, but again, we're asking folks to leave them be, you know, stay on trails. Again, we have a lot of folks that recreate in the area as 
off-highway vehicle riders, whether you're in your side-by-side or overlander, or what have you. And I want to just make this clear, like, our Las Vegas community totally gets it. Like, they know that this area is a treasure and, like, are completely on board with helping us protect it. But we always encourage folks, especially visitors, take only photographs, leave only memories. Very corny, but again, I think that's like the cornerstone of good environmental travel. And again, I would say the best way is then to continue to use the area. Caitlin, we have some resources we'll give you and hopefully something you can share out with the community. Routes through the monument site. We're not trying to print this in a glass bottle or like hide it away or put a wall between outdoor enthusiasts and Aviquame. That's not the goal of the National Monument. The goal is to make sure that, you know, this is there, you know, for people to come and visit and then 20, 30 years later is for their kids to visit and so on and so on. So I would say just like keep that perspective in mind. You know, understand that we're all just visitors here and there's so much to explore and see and leaving that all behind for the next you know, family to come through. Yeah, I think that's great. And we will absolutely take those resources and drop them in the show notes for people. And I'm going to be using them myself to play my own little trip over there because you guys are painting a really nice picture here. Kim, what would you add to that? Okay. Well, first of all, make sure that you are safe when you are visiting. Uh, we are a very remote area. We are not close to a hospital. We have a volunteer fire department. So make sure that you are prepared for a remote experience, especially if you get onto those back roads. Secondly, on those back roads, you will find signs that will say that there is private property in and among the monument area. So make sure that you're on the lookout for those and that you're respecting that some of these properties are private. And uh, if you come across them, just follow the directions or, you know, pass through whatever you need to do. I think Craig's right on about leave no trace. And that also extends to one particular area of Spirit Mountain called Christmas Tree Pass, which has a tradition of people decorating the trees for the holidays and then leaving those holiday decorations on the trees all year. And while It's great to have a tradition to celebrate the holidays in a nature area and maybe decorate a tree for a day. It would be nice for us to now start practicing that leave no trace that we would do with every other kind of trash in this area as a policy. And then watch your speed on those dirt roads because the animals and birds can get agitated and as we bring more visitors to the area we don't want to be dissuading animals and birds to nest near all of those roads that may become more popular and then lastly you can help by supporting the local businesses and you know go ahead and get that gas in the avikume towns and villages and get that snack uh, because you are supporting the people who live there and they're also the people who are watching out to keep this area safe. You guys have touched on it uh, a little bit as we've been talking here, but Craig, why don't I throw this question to you first? Why is designating Abiquame as a national monument so important? Uh, I would say like the biggest reasons, aside from the fact that the area itself is beautiful and 
we shouldn't try and industrialize and you know develop every inch of our country like that's never a sustainable like future but some of the biggest things that stand out to me is you know the importance for a monument is you know culturally the site is key to the human speaking people uh, it is in their origin story as the site of their creation where their creator you know people on earth you know and that cultural heritage i think is just kind of the cornerstone of uh, importance i mean it really is hard to put in words especially as a non-native person myself what that means to the tribes who been in this place since time immemorial you know additionally like i, I think there's also important goals in you know, reaching our conservation goals you know both the state of nevada and the u.s at large have proposed goals to reach a conservation of 30 percent of our land water and sea by the year of 2030 and you know simply per- we are not going to make those metrics without bold environmental plans like protecting of equal may that's a, a way that we all win you know keeping the area free from development and unmitigated uh, acts as a carbon sink to help us fight climate change you know i know every year it just seems like we get you know the storm of the century how many of these are we going to go through in such a short period of time or las vegas is getting hotter and hotter you know we're one of the most you know quickest rising heat pockets in the country and if we are going to tackle the climate crisis head on part of that is you know having these again large carbon sinks to help balance out you know the the development we have you know here in las vegas and you know across the the state the last thing i want to add is finally recreation like it's fun to go and camp or hike or birdwatcher, stargazer, any of the other million things that you can do. And being so close to Las Vegas, like, it's fun to get away from the strip and away from the neon lights and look up and actually get to see the sky and not be blinded by like a million different casinos. Awesome. So I know President Biden has committed to protecting Abiquame, which is a really awesome accomplishment. Tell us about what work still needs to be done and what the next steps are. So next steps for monument creation, I think really lie with the administration. You know, following the Tribal Nations Summit in November of last year, President Biden has made a public commitment to protecting Abiquame as our next national monument, which is fantastic. I think from the administration, they are still doing consultation with the tribes you know, tribal stakeholders, making sure that those indigenous voices have a seat at the table and, you know, are able to chat through some of the unanswered questions that we have at this point in the monument creation process, uh, as well as finalizing the map. You know, us as activists, you know, aren't the ones who actually draw the final map. We certainly have had suggestions throughout this whole process on what the National Monument should and can look like, but, you know, finalization of all that lies with the Department of Interior and Hopefully they listen to the tribes and come to a conclusion that makes everyone happy. So what what actions can people take to support your work? Yeah, so I think from our end and from the community, we want to continue to be strong advocates for, you know, the National Monument and designation processes across the board. Our coalition is continuing to educate folks in our community, you know, continuing to think through how we can continue to be advocates beyond a designation. For folks just out there in the wild, like if this is something you're really passionate about, there's a lot of ways that you can help. Uh, You can go to honorspiritmountain.org and sign our petition. You can continue the voice on social media or whatever platforms you have, you know, letting people know that it's excited to have this commitment 
and you know we need to keep you know keep calling for a designation swiftly tweeting at POTUS you know letting our senators um, our congresswomen know that you know as a Nevada constituent you want to see public lands actions happen you know and again keeping that drumbeat up so to build on what Craig was saying, our local communities are also doing some things to help prepare us for when the monument gets designated. And so we are expecting there to be visitors who become interested in our area with this designation and uh, no resources to help them magically appear from the BLM or the Department of the Interior upon the date of designation. So in our community, we're creating a local periodical that will be free to travelers that is sort of taking the place of what you would get at a national monument with a trail guide and safety features. And then we're also, you know, having walks in the community, hikes, and getting together and having our community members learn more because we will be the place that people will be stopping and asking. So if people would like to help our local communities with this transition to becoming uh, communities that are now inside a national monument, you can do so by volunteering or supporting a few of our small local nonprofits that include the Searchlight Betterment Organization and the Friends of Walking Box Ranch and also the Searchlight Mystery Ranch. Awesome. We will include all of that in the show notes. I encourage folks to go check it out. Absolutely. And, you know, my last question for you both, I'll let whoever wants to start, start, is what advice would you give to other communities who are just getting started with conservation efforts like these? Well, from the perspective of a non-professional advocate who just happens to be a member of a community, I've learned a lot about this process and And some of the things that have stuck with me are how much trust needs to happen at a very local level. We have to just start in our neighbors' living rooms, getting together and talking through our fears and our misconceptions as much as talking through our hopes and our dreams. We have to be really good listeners within our own communities and establish better relationships with our neighbors and all the stakeholders involved. So I've learned so much about the hunting community, the off-highway vehicle community, communities that I didn't really interact with. And I also feel like there's a lot of learning to be done about how these different communities have totally different cultural experiences, like working with the Fort Mojave tribe and the tribal government we're working with a different government entity and things uh, happen completely differently than you would are familiar with in your own town or city. And then including everyone in on the conversation is really important. And uh, conservation partners can be fabulous, but also sometimes they can be partisan. And uh, sometimes I got advice about, you know, you could skip talking to that person if that person 
maybe is not going to have the similar political views to you. But when you're dealing with a rural space, spaces in small towns, the best practice is that you go to everyone regardless of their background and you tell everyone what's going on. And then last, this is a long-term process and it certainly does not end with designation. It only begins with designation. So when you get involved with this, don't burn yourself out on a campaign. Take slow and deliberate actions and pace yourself and commit yourself that this may be a lifelong road to travel of advocacy for a space. That's really wise. I appreciate it so much. Craig, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I just want to echo Kim's point that like, it really is about finding your community, making sure that everyone has a seat at the table. Our coalition is incredibly diverse. I mean, we have folks that are, you know, the traditional conservation voices, the Nevada Conservation League, the all of those, Sierra Club, you know, the when you think like conservation activists, the first people that pop in the mind. But we also have incredibly diverse folks, you know, food pantry, you know, our outdoor recreation community, the other groups in our coalition, the you know, Mormon Women for Ethical Government. I, I love them, and they've been a great partner in this. Wish I could shout out all of our partners, the you know, Great Old Broads for Wilderness, the Red Rock Audubon Society, the you know, Friends of Walking Box Ranch, Friends of Sloan Canyon, Nevada Wilderness, you know, all these groups are really what makes this coalition special. And I think one of the things that we've been able to benefit from is having such a diverse background of like expertise. You know, a lot of our partners know the conservation space really well, but they also know other parts of the the process, you know, whether it's, you know, connecting us with like local elected leaders or just even their community. I it's always amazing you don't know what you don't know. And it's like realizing like, oh, there's this whole untapped community of people out there that are really invested in whatever aspect of the National Monument process that, you know, when they come on board, they like jump both feet, like head on into it. And it's like, oh, well, we never would have found you if, you know, Kim hadn't told us about her connections, the artist community. And, you know, now we're talking with folks about using that as a, a means and a medium of like expressing, you know, our, our activist goals. So I would just say like the best advice for folks who are interested in this sort of work is it's relational. It's, you know, so much about building connections with folks that isn't just transactional and it is be willing and be brave enough to like roll the dice and see who can find. I mean, Kim was saying, you might not think, oh, you know, small town America, like, Maybe they're a different political persuasion and wouldn't believe in public lands protections like this, you know, like the federal government taking action in such a a way. But, you know, I I don't think you can, like, box people into, like, this specific identity or assume that, like, you know, folks aren't going to be excited about, you know, something as once in a lifetime as, you know, seeing large-scale protection like this. And, you know, just, again, like, be ready and willing and able to you know, to find your people and to meet new people and to, to remember at the end of the day, like, this is a passion, you know, all of us share. And, you know, while the coalition is, like, not always on the same page in terms of, like, sometimes, you know, people want to zig and others want to zag, 
yeah, at the end of the day, we all you know, share this incredible love for our landscape and desire to see it protected. And, you know, I, I think that's what really holds us together and, you know, doing the work that we do. You know, I've had a few of these conversations now, and you're not the first people to say that. And I think it's it's really important for us to remember that, you know, these are our public lands. This is our planet Earth. And so it's more than politics and political persuasion. This is our home. And so, you know, how can we come together? And I think being being open-minded and willing to, you know, work together with a wide variety of people is really important. So thank you both for sharing that. And with that, thank you both for being here and for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. And I have had a blast getting to know you both. Yeah, thank you for having us. Me too, thank you. Aren't Kim and Craig so wonderful? I felt such good energy for the rest of the night after connecting with them. In the show notes, you'll find links to learn more about Abikome and ways to show your support for the local communities and coalition members who care so deeply about this place. If you like what we're doing here, hit the subscribe button and tell your friends. Thanks for your support and stay wild out there.